Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, family. I welcome you to church today. My name is Steve Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise, and we are sure glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. We're one church in multiple locations, and in addition to this Rialto campus, we have locations in Banning and Victorville and Ontario and Spanish, as well as online, and we want to welcome our online campus who's viewing with us today. Good to be with you as well. Hey, let's start our time today with a scenario. Here it is. Your extended family is getting everybody together to have one big potluck dinner. And so here's the instruction. Every household is to bring either an entree or a dessert, enough to share with everyone. And so once you receive this instruction, how do you start preparing? Some of you start thinking, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a casserole, because no potluck is official unless there's a casserole, right? Some of you are thinking, ah, I'm going to make grandma's famous soup recipe. Some of you are going to bake cookies or a cake or a pie. A lot of you are just going to swing by the grocery store on the way to the potluck, right? But then there's that one family, and you know exactly who I'm talking about. There's that one family that arrives at the potluck, and the only thing they brought was an appetite. And they grab their plates, and they fill them to the brim with all the food you brought. They sure had no problem consuming it, but they didn't contribute anything to it. This family is a family of takers, not a family of givers. And if we're really being honest about our own families, this kind of mentality extends far beyond just a potluck. I bet all of us know at least one person who really doesn't contribute much to their family at all. They take and take and take, but they don't give much. For example, maybe you have a family member who dominates every conversation with their political rants and inappropriate jokes and and tired commentary on society. Do they ever pause to let someone else talk? Of course not. That would require listening. Some of you have children who are very ungrateful. Doesn't matter how much you give them, they're never thankful, right? You, You cook their food, you clean their dishes, you do their laundry, but as soon as you ask them to take out the trash, it's World War III. Oh, this isn't fair, right? Some of you have parents who seem to always come up with an excuse at the last second to not come to the event. And they feel bad. I I was never there for you when you were a kid, so I want to make up for lost time. And and you actually think this is the the one moment they're finally going to show up. But they don't. They they, they selfishly come up with yet another excuse. right? And when, when we experience these kinds of things in our families, we just throw our hands up in the air and say, what is the point? Why bother trying? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in my office, and, and God just pressed upon my heart to reach out to a family member I haven't talked with in a while. Now, my frustration in the past with this particular family member is that whenever we talk, I'm the one asking all the questions, but I never get any questions back. It feels less like a relationship and more like a job interview. But nevertheless, uh, I decided to reach out, and before long, we were exchanging some messages, and I asked a thousand questions. I asked about life, I asked about family, I asked about career. Any guesses how many questions got asked back to me? Zero. It's like, come on, I'm, 
I'm serving some balls to your side of the net. How about hitting a few back? Instead, you're just holding the racket and all the balls are landing on your side. I mean, just once it'd be nice to just hear, so how are you doing? Am I up here alone or or is anybody else with me on this, okay? All right. So whenever this happens, we we, we get so frustrated. We, We wonder, how do I love someone who doesn't love me back? Or maybe the more important question is this. Why should I love someone who doesn't love me back? Today we continue in our message series that we've been calling Family Hacks. And it's all about getting wisdom from the Bible to aid our families. And in week one, we talked about how to help our families by everyone getting into the habit of asking the question, how can I help? In week two, we talked about how to handle failure. Because all of us are going to fail at some point. We're going to have family members who fail us. And the key is not running away or pulling out, but drawing near to God and going through the hard steps of reconciliation. Next week, we wrap up the message series by talking about how to handle change, but our topic of discussion for today is how to love our family, especially those family members that are very difficult. So to guide our time today, we are going to be in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to Ephesians 2. And the Apostle Paul has some incredible writings about love. This will be the first of two passages that we look at. And the context here, Paul is writing to Followers of Jesus in ancient Greece and ultimately to you and I all these thousands of years later. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, read along with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul begins by saying, hey, all of you followers of Jesus, before Christ came into your life, you too were a taker. And what did you take? Everything the world told you to take. Just follow your heart, follow your appetites, feed into every single craving. We weren't thinking about others. We weren't thinking about what God wanted for our lives. We were just thinking about ourselves. And so how did God treat us? Did he say, okay, so that's how you're going to act? You're not going to love me? Well, I'm not going to love you back. Not quite. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We were so far away from God that we were considered spiritually dead, and yet... Because of his great love for us, he made us alive in Christ. That word love can be translated as agape, which means love that is without condition. Unconditional love. That means that Jesus loves us not because we're good people, not because we're trying our best. He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. And then Paul says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace literally means unmerited, undeserved, unearned. What Paul is teaching us here is that Jesus 
offers you and I the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, power for this life, eternity in the next one. Not because of anything we had to offer. He gives us this gift for free. And our responsibility is to reach out and receive it by faith. And so here's the overarching principle I'd love for us to lay hold of this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here it is. True love is a gift, not a gift exchange. True love is a gift, not a gift exchange. Now, around the holidays, we love to do gift exchanges, right? I give you a gift, and my expectation is you're going to give me a gift in return. And this is how many people live their life with God. Hey, God, I'll give you something, but I'm expecting I'm going to get something back. For example, uh, God, I'll give you my good deeds, and in exchange, you give me a seat in heaven. God, I'll give you some of my money, and in exchange, you're supposed to give me even more than I initially gave. I'll give you an hour of my time on Sunday, and in exchange, you bless my sin Monday through Saturday. We have this understanding with God. Sometimes you even hear people literally say that. Me and God, we have an understanding But that's not the biblical picture of love. Love is a gift, not a gift exchange. This is true love, agape love, unconditional love. Jesus demonstrates that love is not an emotion, it is a decision. Love is not an attraction, it is an action. Jesus demonstrated that true love Jesus showed is laying down his life not because of who we are, but despite who we are. If you ever wonder what true love looks like, here it is. Agape love offered freely and undeserving, which causes us to circle back to our initial question. Why should I love a difficult family member who doesn't love me back? Here's why. Because this is precisely what Jesus does with us. He offers us this gift. We have nothing to offer him back, but he he gives it to us anyway, and we receive that by faith. And if you are somebody who has received that gift, if you've confessed your sins to Jesus and and believed that he died in your place, inviting him into your life, then you have firsthand experience of what it's like to receive this gift of true love. So our responsibility then is to turn around and show that to others. And who better to practice on than our own family? We get to show them that my love for you is not dependent on your love for me. True love is a gift, not a gift exchange. And so here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to close your eyes. In the room, online, close your eyes. In this moment, right now, I want you to picture the most difficult family member you got. Some of you have to sort through a lot of names, so just pick the worst one, okay? I want you to visualize their face in your mind. Some of you are thinking, why do I need to visualize them? They're sitting right next to me. Come on, work with me, all right? Pick pick that family member, okay, who's the one that's hardest for you to love. Okay, you got it? Now open your eyes. The person that you selected is the one that I want you to keep in mind as we read this next passage of Scripture. We're going to read what's known as the love chapter found in 1 Corinthians 13. 
These are verses a lot of us have heard read at weddings, but the, the context is actually there was a church divided over theological issues, and Paul had to step in and say, hey, let's not forget agape love, and then he gave us several examples of what it looks like. And so with your person in mind, let's read these verses together. 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. What's cool about this is that Paul gave us two lists of seven attributes of what love is and what love is not. And so I want to briefly work our way through this list and think about that hard-to-love family member the whole way through and see what God might be saying to you. So let's look at the first thing uh, Paul says of what love is. He says, love is patient. The word patient means long-suffering, or another way to say it is keep the long view in mind that what is happening today might not be happening tomorrow or a year from now. So when you think about that hard-to-love family member, are you patient with him? Are you patient with her? Because Jesus is patient with us. Listen to these words in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Jesus works with all of us over the course of our entire lives, molding us and shaping us into the men and women he wants us to be. And so when you think about that hard-to-love family member, are you willing to be patient and see what God can do in their life? If you're really struggling with this, I want to give you a prayer. Here it is. God, help me to love them by waiting on you to change them. I think we all know we can't change another person. But God can. The question is, are we willing to be patient? Here's the next thing God said, or Paul said about love. Love is kind. Kind simply means being nice to someone. Kindness is not what you don't do. It's intentionally being encouraging and uplifting with your words and actions. And so when you think about that family member, are you just nice to them? Are you kind? Again, this is how Jesus treats us. Listen to these words in Romans chapter 2. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I love how another translation says it. This is the New Living Translation. It says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? See, God doesn't pound us into submission. But instead, he pours out his kindness. And when we start to connect the dots and realize of all of the things Jesus saved me from, all of the things he delivered me out of, we respond to that kindness by giving him our hearts. And you and I can reflect that same thing with others. So when you think about that family member that you are struggling to be kind to, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person by simply being nice to them, even if they aren't nice to me. This is a way to demonstrate agape love, that my love for you is not dependent on your love for me. So then Paul transitions from what love is to what love is not. 
And the first thing he says is love is not envious. Love does not envy. Envy is jealousy. And if we're really being honest, maybe that family member that you're struggling to love, the reason is because you're jealous of them. Maybe they have what you want. Success, a great body, children of their own, a loving spouse, whatever. Envy is a massive barrier to love. And it's very difficult to love someone that we are jealous of. And so to help counter that kind of thinking, Paul gave us these words in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. When we are envious, we do almost the exact opposite of this. We mourn with those who rejoice, and we rejoice with those who mourn. When that family member has trouble, yes! And when that family's doing well, oh, that's not love. Instead, we are called to not be envious, but to be unconditional in that love. And so if you're struggling with envy with a particular family member, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person by celebrating them when they win and being sorrowful when they fall. I'm not going to rejoice in somebody else's hurt. And the more and more we can get into this practice of being in that same space as the person that we're struggling to love, our hearts will begin to change. Here's another aspect of what love is not. Love is not boasting. Paul says love does not boast. To boast is to brag. What bragging is, is talking about ourselves to garner attention. It's putting that fishing line in the water and hoping someone takes the bait to talk more about us. And we've figured out subtle ways to brag about ourselves, haven't we? For example, you could say things like, you know, work has been really stressful this week ever since the boss promoted me to be the head of the department, the youngest department head in the company's 100-year history. It's just been tough. Come on, talk to me, ask me about it. All right. You know why we boast? We're trying to win affirmation from people. That doesn't come from a place of love. That comes from a place of insecurity. We shouldn't be constantly trying to fish for other people to praise us. Paul reminded of this, uh, of us, uh, of this in Colossians 3.23 when he said, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. At the end of the day, the only person we ought to be concerned about who is pleased with us is God himself. We shouldn't be doing everything we can to win the praise of man. And maybe you have that family member. The reason why you struggle so much to love them is because they just never affirm you, no matter how hard you try to get them to like you. And so if that's you and that's your struggle, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person by giving praise instead of trying to get it. I'm just going to praise them when things go well. I'm going to encourage them. And if they never give it back, that's okay. It's the Lord Christ that I'm serving. That's agape love. Let's keep going. <laughs> Here's another thing that Paul says love is not. He says love is not proud. To be proud means to be puffed up. You know, sometimes we say somebody has a big head when they are proud. And maybe you have a family member who loves to remind everyone how important they are. And you can't stand it. So you've got to put them in their place. And you start rattling off your resume to them. You're smarter. You have more experience. Your company is bigger. You make more money. You've got to put them in their place so that their head doesn't get too big. 
But isn't that just countering pride with more pride? This is not how Jesus loves us. How does Jesus love us? Here's an example. Philippians 2.8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus doesn't love us with pride. He loves us with humility. I mean, who of us is better than Jesus? Yet he chose not to use his divine powers for his own well-being, but laid his life down willingly for us. We ought to reflect that to others. So if you're really struggling with, with pride and being humble towards that particular family member who's hard to love, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person not by trying to be better, but by trying to be humble. I'm not going to keep trying to one-up this person. God, help me. Help me in humility love like you love me. Here's another aspect of what love is not. Love is not dishonoring. Paul says love does not dishonor others. Dishonoring means rude and disrespectful. And so when you think about that family member that's really hard to love, are you just rude to them? Sliding in those little jabs, putting those mean little comments in there. You you just can't stand them. And so we say, well, well, what if they're rude to me? What if they're being verbally abusive? Am I supposed to just sit there and take it? Shouldn't I stand up for myself? Yes, you should stand up for yourself. Just don't do it in a way that is dishonoring to others. You could stand up for yourself without being disrespectful. Again, listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. When somebody is being rude and disrespectful to me and to you, our gut reaction is to just do that right back, but that's repaying evil for evil. That's even. That's equal. But that's not what agape love is. Love, agape love is, I'm, my love for you is not dependent on your love for me. True love is a gift, not a gift exchange. And so if you're really struggling with this, with, with dishonoring a family member who's hard to love, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love by not mirroring bad behavior, by just giving back to them what they're giving to me. Help me show another way, the way of love. Here's another aspect of what love is not. Love is not self-seeking. Now, there are some of you who, who sell products in multi-level marketing or network marketing, as they call it. The cynics call it pyramid scheme. Uh, but I've seen people do this well. And at the same time, there have been people who have taken interest in my life and have invited me over to their home for a meal, and they said they wanted to get to know me, and we were there and talking, and then after a little while, out come the products, trying to sign you up to, to buy something. And when that happens, there's just like a little voice in the back of your head that says, were you really interested in me or am I just a potential customer? And those of you who who work in multi-level marketing have to walk that razor's edge all the time. But you don't need to be in that world to experience this because the reality is so many of us have relationships based on what we can get out of them. Some people get married to be happy. This person is going to make me happy. Some people have kids because they are lonely. Some people have relationships because they help boost our brand. Friends, that's not love. That's called a transaction. 
And that's not how Jesus loves us. Again, listen to these words from Paul in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And the reality is that for many of us, if we're being honest, the reason why we're hanging on to that relationship with that hard-to-love family member is because they could offer us something. But as soon as whatever they offer is gone, we're cutting that relationship off. And so if that sounds like you, let me give you a prayer that you can pray. God, help me to love this person even when they offer me nothing. Because again, that's how we are with Jesus. And he loves us anyway. A few more of what love is not. Love is not easily angered. You got that family member who just gets under your skin so quickly. Just the sound of their voice bothers you. And they know what buttons to push. And when they do, how do you respond? Do you snap? Do you lose your cool? Do you go off on them? That's a struggle. That's hard, especially for those family members that are difficult. But again, remember these words. We read these last week. James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. Agape love says, I'm not going to lose it. You're going to have to try way harder than this to get me to be angry. Because God is at work in my life, and he's going to help me bite my tongue and help me from throwing hands and help me from doing something crazy. And so if you really are struggling with that family member who just gets under your skin so quickly, here's a prayer for you. God, help my love show through self-control. Give me exactly what I need to be under control and not come unglued and just go off on someone. Here's one more aspect of what love is not. Love is not record-keeping. Paul said, love keeps no record of wrongs. So does that mean that you and I are supposed to forget every bad thing somebody's ever done to us? Of course not. That would be impossible. Here's what it does mean. It means that you don't record everything in a ledger. And then whenever you get in an argument, you pull that out and start using it against them. Well, on December 12th at 7.27 p.m., you said, and I quote, my voice sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard, end of quote. And then on December 14th at 3.12 p.m., you said, stop, stop. That's not how Jesus treats us. Listen to these words of Psalm 130. Verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't keep a record of wrongs against us? Because that's a long list. (laughs) It's not that Jesus forgets our sins, but that he chooses not to remember them. And that's what followers of Jesus are called to in demonstrating love to others, that we're not going to use this against people. And so if you've got that family member that's hard to love, and you've been keeping a list of all their infractions, and you're just waiting for the right moment to pull that thing out and let it fly, here's my prayer for you. 
God, help me to love this person by not holding them hostage to their past sin. Jesus freed me from my sin. I shouldn't hold someone else hostage. So then Paul transitions back from what love is not over to what love is. And he said, love is rejoicing. Rejoices in the truth. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. This is some of the most countercultural teaching you'll ever hear, especially in our modern-day culture where the message of what love is is defined as just endorse all of my life choices. You love me if you agree with me. And if you disagree with me, that means you don't love me. And what Paul says is that love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It means that I'm going to uphold myself to a set of standards that the word of God lays out, and I'm going to love you without compromising my faith. Rejoicing in the truth means that sometimes I'm going to have to make some hard decisions in what that love looks like. I'm going to want what's best for you, even if you don't agree that's what's best for you. Love is not just patting somebody on the back and saying, everything's going to be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing. God loves us all. That's actually the opposite of love. Rejoicing in the truth is saying that I am going to rejoice when your life aligns with Christ because that's how I'm living. And sometimes that means loving in a hard way. And if you're struggling like this, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person by truly seeking what's best for them even when that is hard. You want everybody to like you? Just affirm everything they're doing. But that's not love. Sometimes love requires a little more. The Apostle John says it this way, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We are called to speak the truth in love. You don't do it in a way that is rude, because now we're in violation of being dishonoring to others. You do it in a way that is patient and kind, but rejoicing with the truth means sometimes i got to make a hard decision in the way that I demonstrate this love. Now, these last couple of aspects of what love is are love with boundaries. Paul says love is protecting. His words are love always protects. Another way to say this is covers or concealing someone else's fault. Now, here's the boundary. What that does not mean is that you cover up somebody's sin. You don't allow abuse to go unreported or try to cover someone's tracks in some kind of criminal effort. There's a big difference between concealing someone's faults and concealing someone's sins. And what, what it means that, that love always protects is it means that sometimes you step in for somebody who may be harmed or embarrassed because of their shortcomings and setbacks in life. It means that sometimes we have to see people with compassion, understanding that their difficult upbringing is what probably influenced a lot of this bad behavior. It doesn't make it right, but it does make it understandable. And all of us have setbacks. And when I truly love a person, I'm willing to, to stand up for them despite those setbacks. And if this is an area of struggle for you, here's a prayer I would love for you to pray. God, help me to love those who don't know how to love others. And that's some of your family members. They truly do not know how to love another person. 
but the way that we could show true love is by demonstrating it to them. And Paul says, love is trusting. It always trusts. Or another way to translate that is always believes. So what does this mean? You're supposed to believe everything you hear? That when you have a family member who has demonstrated patterns of destructive behavior and they show up on your porch and say, I'm healed now, you could trust me, that the most loving thing to do is just believe everything they say? No. What this means is that you intentionally look for the good in others. Lord knows that with many of our hard-to-love family members, the negative things are easy to spot. But are we intentionally looking for the positive things, the things God put in them? Maybe they're a hard worker. Maybe they're a deep thinker. Maybe they're a good parent or a good spouse. Are they flawed? Yes, so are all of us. Are we intentionally looking for the good? And if this is an area of struggle for you, then here's a prayer. God, help me to love this person by encouraging them in areas of strength. And for some of our family members, we gotta look really hard. But God, help me encourage this person in areas of strength. Two more. Love is hoping. It always hopes You know what this means? It means that we don't count God out. Do you still have hope that God can do the impossible in somebody's life? He did it for you. You think he could do it for somebody else? Never count God out. And that gets hard, especially when they do things that make them really, really hard to love. And if you're really struggling with with hoping, here's a prayer for you. God, help me to love this person by not seeing them for who they are, but for who they could be in Christ. You don't stop praying for them, but God, help me to see what this person can potentially be if you get a hold of their life. Don't lose hope. Here's one more. Paul says, love is persevering. That means I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up on you. I'm with you. I love you every step of the way. Now, again, here's the boundary. That doesn't mean we endorse sinful behavior, but it means that I'm going to push through this. I'm going to keep loving you despite everything that's happening. And if you're really struggling with giving up on a person, here's a prayer for you. God, help me love this person on both the good days and the bad ones. It's easy to love a person when they have a good day. But you have bad days, don't you? And for some people, you're kind of wondering, do they ever have a good day? And that's where persevering love comes. God, I'm going to push through. I'm going to keep loving this person despite what I see. Because here's the deal. That's what Jesus does for me. True love is a gift, not a gift exchange. I don't have much to offer. I don't have anything to offer. But he loves me anyway, and he gives me this gift. The way that God is working on this in my life is through parenting. Now, my youngest child is at an age where he's so easy to love. You know, everything is innocent and and exciting, and he, he loves his parents. You know, in the middle of the night, he'll wake up, and he's scared of the dark, and so he'll cry out, Dad! And even though I'm in a deep sleep, I hop out of bed, and I come running in there to give him hugs and kisses and let him know that he's safe. And that is a demonstration of love, but it's not necessarily agape love. You know why? Because I get something out of it. 
You see, what gets me out of my bed is not just to help my child feel secure. What gets me out of bed is because I like to feel wanted. I like to feel needed. I like to know that my child still wants my help because I could just feel these days slipping through my fingers because it won't be long before those cute little kids start growing up and then the eye rolls begin and the back talk starts happening and they're not so easy to love then. You know, not long ago, I had a big argument with one of my older children and you guys know how it is. When there's strife in your home, it is exhausting. So we worked through this long conflict and afterwards my wife was, was sitting down and I was just venting to her I just said, what's the point of trying to be a good dad? I've invested so much in this child. I think about all the time I've spent with him, all the money I've spent on him, all the times I've sacrificed my own desires to serve him. When am I going to see a return on my investment? And my wife just said to me, that's not why we love. And those words have stayed with me and continue to guide my heart when it gets tough. Because I don't love my child because someday I may get a return on that investment. That day may never come. The reality is that my children can grow up and reject Christ, reject the church, and even reject me. And if that happens, my responsibility is to still love them. And so is yours. Because true love is a gift, not a gift exchange. And Jesus offers this gift to us freely. Our responsibility is to reach out and receive it by faith. Have you received the gift of salvation today? If you've never done that, I want to help you do that today. In just a moment, I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's, it's a prayer of confessing our sins to Jesus and believing, I, I can't save myself. I can't offer you anything, Jesus, but but I can, I can believe that you died for me. You, you died in my place to forgive me of my sins, secure my future with you, give me power for today. I believe if you've never intentionally prayed like this, I want to help you do that right now. If you're ready to invite Christ into your life, I want to ask you all, everyone in the room and online, close your eyes, bow your heads, and I want to give you some words that you could repeat after me in the silence of your heart. I'll tell you what to say, but you've got to believe them in faith. And so if you're ready to receive this free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, repeat after me as we pray. Jesus, today I receive your gift. Say those words right back up to heaven. Jesus, today I receive your gift. I believe you died in my place. And I ask that you forgive me. Jesus, I invite you in. Take control. Change my heart so I could leave my old life behind and follow you in new life. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. 
Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.